Welcome to the Church on a Hill podcast. This is Pastor Corey Lahiri, and the Church on a Hill podcast is a ministry of Palouse Federated Church in Palouse, Washington. We are glad you joined us for this podcast, and we hope that that this will bless you. Well, good morning to you. Um, I've heard a lot about this church, Palouse Federated Church, and uh, Pastor Corey in particular. I served with Ben Wilson. Some of you may know Bill, Ben Wilson, who was a youth pastor at the Evangelical Free Church in Pullman. I uh, served with him there for six years, uh, the last six years. And in fact, that's what brought my family to the area was to take on a pastorate there. And, um, and so I've heard a lot about, uh, like I said, this church pastorate. So it's really an honor to be here uh, this morning with you. Now, um, just to say, Mr. Wheatley isn't uh, all that inappropriate because um, I've, uh, just recently the reason I'm here today is that I've stepped away from the uh, E-Free for, this, for a season and gone back to my original vocation, which was a school teacher. So I'm used to hearing <laughs> Mr. Wheatley. Uh, I'm a high school math and science teacher, and um, I'm very thankful to say that uh, I'll be, I plan to be teaching with Pullman High School in the coming year. And uh, so that's a little bit about me, formerly a school teacher, recently a pastor, um, going back to teaching for a season. But I grew up in eastern Washington, and uh, so um, this region, the Palouse and whatever, uh, uh, is, is very familiar to me. So with that, I just want to um, get ready to dive in. Uh, pastor Corey suggested this passage and theme for us today from Mark chapter 9. And so uh, I was happy to go along with that. Um, and so we're going to see there are certainly lessons we're going to uh, learn from a, an episode in Jesus' life where a father came to him for help. But um, that's just one element of a, of a very interesting story that I think has many lessons for all of us. Uh, regardless of kind of who we are and what our background is. But bef before I read this passage in Mark chapter 9, I'd like to sort of set the scene a little bit. Now Mark, the gospel of Mark is 16 verses, and uh, every commentator will mention the fact that those 16 verses are divided evenly between, uh, or, sorry, 16 chapters is it's divided evenly between chapters 1 through 8 and 9 through 16. Chapters 1 through 8 are very specifically um, Jesus establishing who he is, particularly by um, his teachings and his, uh, the, the, the miracles that he was performing. And then um, there's a pivotal moment in chapter 8 which, um, in which the narrative, the, the theme of, of uh, the, the Gospel of Mark changes to what Jesus ultimately came to do, which is to die for uh, the, the sins of the world. Uh, it's in chapter 8 where something very special happens, and he, he begins to reveal the fact that he, the Son of Man, came to suffer, to be rejected, to be crucified, to die, and to rise again. So that was a new feature in Jesus' ministry that even his disciples didn't fully understand. And it's what we're going to read in chapter 9 
of course, occurs right in the midst of that transition. And we may have a chance to think about why that's important. You see, at the end of chapter 8, um, uh, Jesus came to a point where he asked his disciples, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? And it was then that Peter, on behalf of the disciples, said, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. And, and that confession uh, was really the culmination, the climax, the summary of Jesus' sort of preparatory ministry with his disciples as they came to realize who he is. It was then that he would reveal that that was merely one aspect of his ministry, that he, in, he in fact, came to suffer and to die. And so, um, so that's a little bit of the structure. Now, uh, there's another detail I want to mention before we read, which is that at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's now delegating authority to his disciples. Uh, back in chapter 6, he had given his disciples authority to heal and to cast out demons, to, to preach and to teach in his name. That was back in chapter 6, and that's going to be relevant to what we see here in chapter 9. Because as he begins to delegate to delegate authority to them, he expects more from them. And that'll be, uh, we'll see that as we read. Uh, lastly, um, uh, immediately preceding what we're going to read, Jesus has been on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And in fact, it seems it was an overnight Situation. So they went up on a mountain, just the four of them, and they had this experience, leaving the nine behind. And it's, it's upon their return coming down the mountain, which is where we enter into this story. And we're going to see what's happening. So with that, I'm, I'd like to read for us uh, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. <clears throat> It says, when they came to the disciples, okay, so they is Jesus and uh, Peter, James, and John, so the four, okay? So Peter, James, and John, when they came to the, the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams it, uh, and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able and he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and, they, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. 
And it is often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said to him, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that, a crowd came running together. He rebuked uh, the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Well, let's pray before we look into this passage. Father, we rely on the leading and teaching of your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to help us understand what we've read from your word. And we ask that you would do just that now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this episode here that we just read in Mark 9 is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But Mark has the, most, the longest and the most detailed um, version of it. If you compare Matthew and Luke, you'll find they're actually quite short and condensed. So there's a lot of details here for us. And I, and I have to admit, as I've studied this particular story, uh, I've, I've sort of found that it's difficult to teach. I mean, unless you're uh, looking to do or have a deliverance ministry like we read here, and I don't know if that's the case. Uh, I have to admit, I, I don't have a deliverance ministry. You know, I'm uh, casting out demons. Uh, uh, I've, I've never actually met somebody personally who's had a demon. And, and so um, the, can, the relevance uh, in my life is maybe somewhat limited. Maybe that's the case in, in your life too. Okay, I don't know. Um, but uh, so clearly if, if we were to have a deliverance ministry, we would want to um, have a lot of faith and a, a deep prayer life. Right? I think we would see that from here. Uh, but that leaves us with an, a question. What, what do we learn from this passage um, exactly? Well, I think as we review this story and we review the events, I think we're going to see that there are some really helpful things. In fact, very challenging things that we're going to, uh, that we're going to be faced with. Um, there's basically three sort of movements in this story. I'd like to go back through them. Um, and they relate to, to these things. Um, a, a spiritual failure uh, of the disciples, uh, a, a demonstration of spiritual power from Jesus. And then he has the explanation at the end about the difference between the two, which we'll see is related to spiritual intimacy and just what that means. So a failure, a power, and intimacy. I'd like to just look at those three aspects. The scene itself uh, is sort of easy to imagine. Again, we have 
Jesus and the three, uh, Peter, James, and John, coming down off the mountain. And, and they come to this crowd that's uh, arguing, right? Um, uh, there's there's a, the, the nine uh, uh, other apostles, right? They're without their leader. You know, G, uh, Jesus is not there. Peter, James, John, sort of the, the, the leading apostles among them are gone. And so just the nine of them. And here comes a, a father looking for help. You know, can you cast out this demon, please, from my son? And uh, we don't know what they did, but uh, they can't do it, right? They're, whatever they are trying to do, it's not working. Well, there's scribes in the crowd, and uh, scribes, you know, being sort of, you know, you can imagine maybe they're mocking the disciples, you know. Uh, hey, you know, your, your leader can do it, but you can't do this or whatever. And so... Uh, just imagine, how do you think the apostles feel? Uh, maybe a little frustrated, maybe a little embarrassed. They start to defend themselves, so now you have an argument happening. And guess what? A crowd draws a crowd, doesn't it? And so now we have people gathering around, looking what's happening, and so it's kind of escalated here. You've got the disciples arguing with the scribe. Meanwhile, this boy, he, he's, he's suffering, being thrashed and thrown on the ground, having these seizures that uh, evidently the demon is causing. The dad, he can't do anything. He's like, come on, you guys. Would you, would you help him, please? Uh, Luke tells us that this boy was this father's only child. So you can imagine just how distraught he, he was trying to find help for him. The boy was ragged, the dad distraught, the, the apostles frustrated. Welcome to the Church on a Hill podcast. This is Pastor Corey Lahiri. And the Church on a Hill podcast is a ministry of Blues Federated Church in Blues, Washington. Picture of we are glad you failure, joined us for this podcast, and we hope that, that this will bless they you. They could not do what they'd been asked to do. They couldn't help this man who had come to, to them. Back in chapter 6, they, they'd experienced a successful ministry of healing and deliverance and preaching. But something's different here. It's not the same. This is what Jesus walks into. And Jesus being Jesus, he's, he displays spiritual power, right? Uh, I... It's so typical of him. He comes in and he, and he starts with a question, right? So, again, picture the this, this scene here. This, this crowd arguing and raised voices and so they come to him. And, he, and what does he say? What are you arguing about? You know, so often he, he, he asks this sort of innocuous question, right? If someone's blind, he says, what do you want me to do for you? Like, what else would you want me to do for you? What, what, what do you think? I want, I want to be able to see. What are you arguing about? So the, but th this provides the opportunity for, I, evidently it was the father who came out of the crowd and, and he explains what happened. My, I've got this boy, he has this demon, but, but your, your uh, disciples are, are not able to, to cast it out. So he explains the situation, but he also explains the problem. 
And it's here Jesus gives a response that is really quite startling. Let's read it again. O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? This, this raises the question, who is Jesus talking about here? Is he referring to the dad? Is he referring to the disciples, the scribes, the crowd? And, and commentators are um, sort of in disagreement who exactly Jesus is referring to. Some say he's referring to everybody, some ju just the, the disciples. But it's worth thinking about just a little bit. Uh, personally, I, I sort of question whether uh, Jesus would be referring to the crowd because, in a sense, they're not necessarily responsible for this failure, right? The, the father came to the disciples, and, and that's where the core of the issue is, right? So I, I sort of am uh, not convinced that it's, it, he's referring to them. Now, the scribes, on the other hand, right, the scribes are sort of this group of religious leaders, they're, they're, um, they're experts in the law, and um, there's a sense in which if they're arguing with the disciples, well, their religion is really, uh, is as ineffective as the disciples, right? Um, in other words, if, if the scribes are, are arguing, well, why don't the scribes just do something? But whatever they represented was, was not helpful here. And so I could see how perhaps Jesus could be referring to these scribes, these sort of, uh, uh, these religious people who, who were experts in the law, they knew the answers, quick to judge, but really not able to do anything helpful. That's possible. It's possible that the, Jesus is referring to the Father. Now let's look at this a little more carefully. Uh, notice there the, the father in verse 22 says to Jesus if you can do anything right have compassion on us if, if, if you can do anything Jesus please have compassion and Jesus response is sort of indicates that uh, he expected more from this he says if you can if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. But at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's demonstrated who he is. That's why the Father came to him in the first place. And so Jesus, I believe, perceives a lack of faith here. And again, we don't want to go too far with this, but, but maybe the Father came to the disciples with an attitude of entitlement. Like, here's my boy. I've heard Jesus can heal, so I'm going to go there too. And, and maybe, just maybe, there's, there's an element of what we sometimes call cheap grace where we want God to do something for us without asking anything from us. Maybe. I think people came to Jesus like that and were turned away. And so it could be that this, this spiritual struggle as it, it's unfolding before the Father, he, he realizes um, it's, it's not going to be as easy as I thought. I, I came for help. They can't do it. But, but Lord, if you can do anything, please have 
compassion on us. And so I think there's a heart change here that, that the Father's experiencing. I need Jesus. This isn't going to be easy. And we see that from Jesus' own response there. If you can't, come on. Give, give me more credit than this, right? And so he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. I don't know if you've ever prayed that prayer. I know I have. Lord, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. So, so, so we see that in the Father there. But then again, we have the disciples themselves who I think uh, Jesus is most certainly referring to. And I'd like to look at that in, in, in just a minute. Look at that in just a minute. But before I do that, I want us to see something about Jesus' spiritual power here in Mark that we don't see in Matthew or Luke. And it has to do uh, in his response. He says, bring, uh, uh, you know, bring the boy to me, he says. And then um, in verse 25, Jesus says, or it says, when Jesus saw that the crowd was coming, uh, running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter into him again. If you're in the habit of highlighting or underlining or circling anything in your Bible, you, you can highlight or circle the, word, the pronoun I. That's emphasized in the Greek New Testament. In other words, Jesus, it's as if Jesus is saying, the, the disciples have been commanding you, but now I command you. Come out of him. That's power. That's authority that Jesus alone has. And, um, and so it's, it's there, it's, it's, we don't necessarily see that in the English text, but um, that emphasis is most certainly mentioned and I think it's important. Um, in fact, Luke's gospel, when once the demon was delivered, it says that uh, everybody was astonished at the majesty of God. When Jesus came in, asserted his authority, they were astonished at the majesty of God. So we see there even, this is a side note, a providential timing of this whole thing. Here's this, this failure, this crowd argument sort of thing happening. And that's merely the stage upon which Jesus can come and display his majesty. So, uh, so, that's, so, so that's the second part of the story. Jesus displaying his power. Uh, failure, power. But then there's a nice explanation that we can learn a few things from here at the end. And he, um, it says that they came to him privately and said, why couldn't we cast it out? Like, why, why couldn't we do this? 
And in Mark, we have Jesus saying, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. If you have King James or you're used to the King James, you're expecting to hear and fasting. And that's mentioned in the margin there. Um, New Testament scholars think that the, the phrase fasting was added uh, a little bit later and that um, it's likely that Jesus mentioned prayer here. In Matthew, Jesus says that uh, it was because of their little faith. Uh, is what Matthew says. So I think faith, the, the faith aspect and the prayer aspect are the two that go together. And the fasting was added later because of the role of fasting in the early church. That's what um, people think there. So if it's the case, and I believe it is, that Jesus is talking, he, he said, it's because of your little faith. It's because this kind can only come out by prayer. Jesus really is talking about the need for what I've called spiritual intimacy. Spiritual intimacy. And I think that's the third part of the story. The difference between Jesus' power and the failure of his disciples is spiritual intimacy. The, a life of faith characterized by deep fellowship and trust in God as evidenced by a vibrant prayer life. Faith and prayer simply go together. That's just how it is. So that's the story. That's the, that are some of the things that are happening. We've given a, a chance here to, to think it through a little bit. But now I'd like to consider what it might mean for us today. What are some of the things that uh, I think the Lord might have us take away from this? Well, certainly in the most general sense, I might wonder in your own mind, who do you identify with the most in this story? Are you, would you say that you're sort of a member of the crowd? Right? You're a little bit on the outside looking in. Um, you're, you, you, if people are there, you'll show up. Right? One of the nice things about a life in the church among believers is uh, the Christian community. So coming to church is a wonderful time of fellowship. Maybe a small group Bible study, whatever. But the question is, am I part of the crowd or am I actually contributing? Do I have any skin in the game? The crowd doesn't have any skin in the game, right? The scribes aren't arguing with the crowd. They're arguing with the disciples. Now, okay? Maybe you're, maybe you're on the side of the scribes. You know, you're an expert in the law. You, you know your Bible really well. You know the traditions really well. And, and if people get out of line, you notice. And you let them know, Right? Well, I don't want to be too harsh on her, but maybe you are, right? I don't know. Okay. Maybe you're in the role of the father here. It's like you, you have some real spiritual needs. And maybe they haven't been met yet. Maybe, maybe you're looking to God to do something in your life that he hasn't done for you yet. 
What's, so there's a crisis of faith. Is God able to do what you think he's able to do? Will he do it? When will he do it? Are you in the, are you in the role of the disciples? And, and maybe there's part of us all that are, uh, we can identify with this other. We're, we're trying to influence people for Jesus, right? But sometimes it doesn't go very well. It gets really messy, right? Something, sometimes things go sideways and we get outcomes that, I, that we weren't expecting. It's like, oh man, now I'm in, now I'm in a mess here. You see that the disciples are right in the middle of all this. It's not going their way. It's gotten really messy. And in a sense, all the attention's on them. It's like, they're failing. Who do we identify with most in the story? I think that's some food for Paul. But um, to be more specific, I would suggest that there is a, a lesson there here about the, the nature of, of what I'll call spiritual power and that power is proportional to intimacy. And I want to take a few minutes and just drill this one down a little bit. There is sort of a rule for Christian life that spiritual power is proportional to spiritual intimacy. I think Jesus says that here. This kind doesn't come out by anything but prayer. You couldn't do this because of your little faith, which implies had there been more faith, more prayer, they could have done this. Now, I'm not saying that now I want to be careful a little bit here. I'm not talking here about casting out demons specifically. Okay, again, if that's your ministry or maybe, okay. What I'm talking about here, though, is the, 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 um, this, essentially this, the power of the gospel in, to change a person's life. You see, the Apostle Paul said that the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power which is to say the life of a, being a follower of Jesus isn't merely about saying the right things, but by having a changed life that comes from, essentially from the inside out. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. He's, uh, the Apostle Paul says in Romans, he says uh, that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, are you, do you have a, a conscience free of guilt that is, um, in a sense, rejoicing in the righteousness of God through Christ? A, a, a conscience that is at peace. I was talking with my daughter the other day about shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace, and there's she informed me there are four dimensions of shalom, right? Peace with God, peace with others, peace with yourself, peace with creation. Do you have that? I was, I, that got me thinking for the rest of the week when we had that conversation.
you see, there's, there's a lot more to spiritual power than casting out a demon, right? I think there's lots of ways that we can apply this to, to our own life. To the power, to, to, the, to, to the, our uh, experiencing God's power in our own life. Are we, do we have these things? If we want, if we want to have these things, then we need to have spiritual intimacy, right? I think that's something we're learning from Jesus. That they go hand in hand. And so I would even go further and ask the question, how is your prayer life? Jesus said this kind doesn't come out by prayer. And so let's think about even more specifically about prayer. How's your prayer life? I, I have to admit, and this is where I was probably convicted the most. I've been in a slump. My prayer life has really been in a slump for the last little while. And so I've appreciated sort of working through this on my own, confessing my failures, but also knowing I'm forgiven and accepted in Christ. Um, so I'd like to pass on a few suggestions. If you're looking to maybe renew or revitalize prayer in your life, I'd recommend a couple things. One is to find a quiet place without distraction. Okay, so, so this has been uh, difficult in, uh, for me as my family has grown and my house has shrunk, right? Those two happen at the same time. When your family grows, your house shrinks. Uh, my work demands have gone up. You know, it's hard to find that undistracted time and place. The reason I mention that is there, there's two things why this is so important. First, having a place of, of, that's free of distraction allows you to enter into a, a time of deep thinking deep thinking. It's a thing. It's a thing, okay? That you, you need time to concentrate, okay? You need time for the buzz of all the cares and the concerns and the so on of life to, to quiet down. You need time for your thoughts to center and focus on God. A, a quiet place without distraction is where deep thinking can occur. But more than that, it's, it's deep thinking that I believe is essential to spiritual change. Deep thinking is part of deep spiritual change. As we, as we begin to think deeply about things, the things of God, our, our thoughts begin to change. Our emotions begin to change. Our perspective begins to change. Our hearts begin to change. So, so you see, this, this kind of deep thinking prayer time is a, a, a catalyst. It's a motivator for deep change. There's a pastor I really appreciate who's recently passed away, Timothy Keller. Um, and uh, he wrote a book on prayer in which he says this. 
prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It's also the main way we experience deep change. And then he says he defines deep change as the reordering of our loves, right? The heart change, that the reordering of our heart's affections. And so prayer is, is really part of that, critical part of that. To put it another way, and I'll rephrase this a little bit, I would go so far as to say that if you're not experiencing, and I'm talking into the mirror here too, okay? If, if you're not experiencing times of deep, undistracted prayer, then you're probably not changing. That's sort of an implication here. And you, and you may not have as much spiritual power in your life as you, as you could have. Again, back to not, you know, depending how we define spiritual power, right? Living the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all that kind of stuff. Jesus we know had that life spiritual intimacy with the father we know he had that which is why he could do what he did so at minimum we 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 need that quiet place without distraction but we also need something to focus on and so the second recommendation is that you would pray scripture. Now, we did that this morning, didn't we? We prayed the Lord's Prayer. That's a great prayer, wonderful prayer. And the, the more that we can pray that prayer and understand what it means and mean what it says, right? So make those words your own. It's very powerful. It's extremely powerful. But even more than that, you can elaborate on each of those phrases. Our Father, our Father, right? He's not distant. Our Father, he, he's, he's near. God has adopted us into his family. He's our Father. We are his children. You can elaborate on that theme. In heaven, he's great. He's eternal. He's infinite. Hallowed be your name. He's holy. He's unique. There's no other like him. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We focus on his rule, his authority, his sovereignty, his providence. You see, each of these phrases can launch into uh, just elaborating on those themes. You can also pray a psalm. That One of the things I, I found really helpful, I've been reading the psalms uh, quite a lot over the last couple of years. And here's, here's one way to use the psalm uh, as a basis for prayer. Um, if, you, if you can imagine assigning a psalm to every day of the month, right? So 1 through 30 would, would be, that would cover the first 30 psalms. So today's the 18th, right? So it would be Psalm 18. So you want to uh, do something for prayer, you open up to Psalm 18 and you realize, oh, Boy, you know, I'm just not feeling, you know, stimulated by this psalm. Well, imagine that cycle continuing again, right? So 1 through 30 are covered. You start 31, 
to 60. And so the 18th would overlap with 48 if you just add 30. I'm a math teacher. <laughs> I am a math teacher. So I might have lost you, but imagine you're just 30 days in a month, right? First 30, second 30, and you keep doing that. Well, if today's the 18th, you add 30, that's the 48, so you go to Psalm 48. Yeah. You read that? Maybe that doesn't work. You go to Psalm 78, 108, or 138. You have five, five psalms to, to choose from every day of the month. And I guarantee, well, I guarantee, there's a high likelihood, as I've done this, maybe the first two eh, didn't really resonate, but the third one, boy, it warmed my heart or whatever. So I, so I use that one, whatever. So I commend that to you, right? If you use the Lord's Prayer, great prayer. You can also use a psalm. Assign one every day of the month and then just add 30 from there. One of the reasons I like praying the psalms is, is because so often it says, in my distress, the Lord heard me. You know, we, we don't come to God out of strength, do we? We, we come in weakness. We don't come, sure we come confident, Right? We can come confident, we can come bold, but we still come needy because we need Him. And, and he, he receives us. Right? Or to use a New Testament expression, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, as we come to Him in prayer. Or to use the words of this Father, I believe, help my unbelief. We come to God in weakness because He's strong. We come uh, with needs because He supplies. We come confessing our sin because He forgives. You notice, Jesus didn't forsake this crowd or this Father, these disciples. He, he may have rebuked them. But he also, he was faithful to them. He was gracious to them. And so, um, so there's a lesson there, I believe, that um, spiritual power is proportional to spiritual intimacy. And I'm not saying that we have to pray more to be more accepted by God. Right? You're not hearing that. We don't pray more to be loved more. We don't pray more to be more deserving of anything. You see, God has already shown us His love in the, by sending His Son Jesus to die for your sins. To do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And isn't that what Jesus did right here? He did for this Father, he did for this, these disciples what they could not do. That's the gospel. God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And he's done it in Jesus. So that's settled. But he wants you to grow in grace. He wants all of us to grow in our faith. He wants us to be strengthened spiritually. How does that happen? 
I suggest it happens primarily through spiritual intimacy, through prayer. And so that's one of the things we are faced with here. So if, if you would like to renew or recommit your prayer life, would you do that today? Do that today? Is there anything stopping you from doing it today? Not tomorrow. Tomorrow will come. But what about today? Sounds like there's a time. No, the guided prayer time was maybe not today or something like that. Next week? Okay. So uh, is there an undistracted place even for a little while this afternoon, this evening, where you could pull out that Lord's Prayer, uh, try a psalm? This is, and, uh, and, and, anyway, I guess I've said what I want to say about that. So with that, let's pray. Father, you are good to us, so good. On our best days, we're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. On our worst days, we're a child of God. And Lord, we, we want to receive uh, your rebuke today. Uh, just like the disciples did. They, they had to face uh, the, the root of their failure. And we want to face the root of ours. And so by your grace today, we would repent of our prayerlessness, but we rejoice in your forgiveness. We rejoice in, in your grace and in your mercy and in your love. And we, maybe we, we need to renew ourselves, to recommit ourselves, be a praying people that you've um, asked us to be. Help us to do that, Lord. May for each one of us today here, may we be motivated to enjoy more spiritual intimacy with you and so bring pleasure to you. You delight in the prayers of your people and that we ourselves might be changed into your image for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, friends. I truly pray that this message blessed you. And if you want to find out more about our ministries or listen to other messages or videos of our worship services, you can check us out at palousechurch.org or search for Palouse Church on YouTube or check us out on Facebook, or we are on uh, the Bible app. There's different ways to find us. You can always email me, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, at palousechurch.org uh, to connect with me or to send me a prayer request. We really appreciate you connecting with us in this way, and may God bless your day.